Good morning. I'm Chris Williams, and this is Fordham Conversations. Today on our show, we're talking to Fordham professor and filmmaker Mark Street about his film, Austin Nunca. We talk about the process of making the film and the story it tells. It's about a DJ in Uruguay who hosts a call-in radio show. Throughout Ostanunka, people reveal their secrets and insecurities on air, all set against the backdrop of the city of Montevideo. So you teach at Fordham at Lincoln Center? Can you, I do. What, do. what do you teach there? In what department? I teach in the art department there, um, and uh, I teach filmmaking within the art department. So um, basic film classes, film video one every semester, and other um, upper division classes like film in the city, um, film video installation, uh, animation this semester. Um, so it's, it's the idea of filmmaking as, um, as an artist practices it. I want to ask you first about how you got involved in filmmaking because you've, you've been making films for a while now, right? Yeah, about 30 years, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to undergrad at Bard College, upstate New York, and um, that's really what where I got a taste of artist-driven filmmaking. Um, you know, the idea that you could make a film as you write a poem, as you write a piece of nonfiction, um, you know, sort of one-person artisanal uh, filmmaking. Uh, before then, um, you know, I, I was sort of, I had this sense of filmmaking as a as a grand enterprise with, um, you know, division of labor and things like that. And um, my way since then has always been, um, you know, as an artist, uh, creating a film with a sort of one-to-one relationship to the material. Now I want to talk about Hasta Nunca. I watched the film, and I thought it was great. And but for people who haven't seen it, do you think you could describe it in a few sentences? Sure. What it's about? Sure. It's a it's about a DJ in Montevideo, Uruguay, and um, um, he's going through a bit of a midlife crisis. Um, so he has this um, affair, uh, extramarital affair, that sort of fizzles out, and. Um, uh, it's about the medium of radio, his contact and lack thereof with people. Um, it's funny because we're sitting here in a radio studio now. But, um, you know, in some ways he has a very direct contact with people. In other ways he's he's a little bit alienated and closed off. And it's also a portrait of that city. Um, I, um, you know, come from the tradition of street photography. So um, a lot of the film was made up um, shooting in the streets of Montevideo. And just to clarify, he, he hosts a call-in radio show and, and people call in and they they tell their secrets or they sort of look for advice and they kind of look at him as sort of a person who can tell them what to do and be kind of reassuring, but he's a little bit unsure of whether that's what his role should be. Yeah, well said. Uh, You know, based a little bit on um, Nathaniel West's Miss Lonely Hearts, you know, the idea of this um, columnist at that point who um, uh, had people write in and and, um, uh, talk about what, you know what their problems were, and then uh, eventually the the line between um, the person giving advice and the person asking for advice becomes a little bit um, porous and a little bit um, you know a little bit wavy, if you will. So yeah, that's that's really what it is. Secrets and Stories is the name of the show, and um, you know people call. Sometimes they call in with just a single secret. Sometimes they have a long interaction with him. Sometimes they call a number of times a week. Sometimes they call once. You know, it's this kind of catch as catch can radio show. You wrote the film as well as directing it, correct? Well, I did write it, but it's about half improvised. So um, some of the story, some of what he says, I wrote. Uh, some of what the call ins uh, people call in, 
say I wrote. Uh, other things, other times when we cast the film in Uruguay, um, we've worked with artists and actors, and I would say, um, you know, do you have a character you'd like to um, you'd like to to embody, personify? Uh, so some of that that stuff is really comes from from other people. It's about half and half. Um, so I can't take credit for all of it. I was going to ask you about that because at certain points the film almost feels like a documentary. It, you know, it's shot on handheld camera. It's it's it looks almost like a documentary and it feels very real. So I just want to ask you, did you intend it to be that way? Did you write it with the intention of having people come in and improvise? Or is that something you found while you were there filming it? You know, these people can bring some, can bring themselves into it and let's let them improvise. Well, I mean, I'm inspired by documentaries because I think that there's a way... Um, good documentaries you don't really know what's going to happen there's not a um there may be a rhetorical thrust but they surprise you and you can feel the director's surprise as you're watching it you can feel uh things happen that are unexpected so um to me and this is just my thing you know a scripted film where you write something and um and then you know make the film to fit with the the way you've intended it to go is um you know it's just not as i don't learn as much in the process and it and i'm not as engaged and i don't um um i'm i'm not as uh uh inspired by the sort of spontaneous and immediate things that can happen in the, in the documentary mode so yes you know i i knew it was going to be sort of half a hybrid of sort half scripted half improvised half documentary half real um things like that i was wondering about the city itself well, I um, I was in Buenos Aires um, with my family learning Spanish um, uh, eight years ago, and we, uh, my wife and I took, um, my wife Lynn Sachs uh, and I took the ferry uh, over from uh, Buenos Aires to Montevideo, and we did, showed some films at a really wonderful artist collective called Fundación D'Arte Contemporáneo, um, and it's a it's a collective of artists who um, live together, have studios together by the port. They've since moved, but at that point they were by the port in Montevideo. And I just, I, I really like this organization and I really like the city a lot. And um, I went back a few other times. I showed some work. I taught a number of workshops there. And I sort of, to some extent, I, I'm still an outsider there, but I integrated um culturally into the life of the city and um the way i make films um some of my previous work is like this too i sort of start with location and then move to character and then move to narrative so i would be standing on a street corner in montevideo and think this is really this is wild this uh tableau is really wild i'd like to build a feature film around this um which is again different from how m most people make films usually it's like you have a narrative and then you go say well what bar do I want to put this scene in or what you know what what location and I sort of move outward from location to character to narrative sort of related to that can you talk a little bit about what the challenges were to make a movie about a radio DJ seem cinematic because you know you have people calling him in on the phone and sometimes you don't see them sometimes you do so what was the challenge there to, to make sure that there was enough visual material for a show, for a movie, I mean, about radio? Well, it's a good question. Um, 
I looked at a lot of films like uh, Play Misty for Me with Clint Eastwood, uh, films about DJs. I guess there's Good Morning Vietnam. I didn't look at it again, but I remember it pretty well from when I saw it. Um, our thing was we started with the call-ins, and we shot in a studio, um, and then we followed around the characters that um, who we thought were interesting, and um, uh, were able to, to sort of tell a, a story that, um, that was idiosyncratic. We just tried to to keep it visual and and use the city as a character. Really, uh, I guess that was the key. It, it, um, as the as the characters are talking, we envisioned radio coming out of transistors in the back of bicycles and uh, people in a bar with the radio in the background. So really, the whole city became something we could film. And I would go out by myself and um, you know and and film. Um, you know, film street corner life and things like that, knowing that it would fit with these call-ins later. Do you think there's something about the story of the film that's particular to the city? Or do you think that just the film itself showing all these locations, is that what makes it, you know, the the sort of love letter, as you said before? Well, uh, I described Montevideo as Oakland to uh, Buenos Aires's San Francisco, a little bit grittier. Um, still has that Italianate immigrant culture. Um, there's a real sort of um, uh, recycling culture. There's a lot of outdoor markets and uh, people selling things on the street. Reminded me of Havana, Cuba, in that way. But um, you know this kind of middle-aged malaise that he experience that the DJ experiences. Um, I, I think there's something Uruguayan about it, um, sort of a low-grade depression, not to pathologize it, but a, um, a kind of existential um, um, questioning and wondering and things like that. And I think these things are interesting, by the way. Um, I showed it to a bunch of um, Uruguayan um, expats at a club, social club in New Jersey, and they said, why do you depict all these characters as uh, unhappy? To me, um, you know, narrative starts with um, with unhappiness and problems to be solved. So I, I don't see it as a bad thing at all, but I do see it as Uruguayan in, in a certain way. This is Chris Williams on 90.7 WFUV talking to Mark Street about his film Ostanunka. Getting back to the story for a little bit, do you think that the, the DJ, his name is Mario, do you think that Mario is in the, the position to be having, to be hosting this show and sort of um, have people look to him for advice? Well, I think he's good at what he does. In the, First of all, he, he the character who plays Mario is Rufo Martinez, who is actually a DJ and a television personality in Uruguay. So he's good at parrying. He's good at um, uh, um, rejoinders. He's good at, at talking to people and drawing them out. Um, you know, whether he's giving sound psychological advice or not, um, who knows? It's sort of homespun kind of um, uh, directives in that way. But um, he certainly was was great as an actor. Also, some of the film is him walking the streets um, in character, but he would, <coughs> excuse me, he would um, run into people who knew him from television, so he was able to interview them. There's a gay man who he interviews. There's a homeless man um, and, um, you know, we use those documentary vignettes in the film to give it verisimilitude and, um, you know, it worked out. One of the quotes I wrote down was 
there's two women they're talking about a story they heard on the radio about a woman who called in and her husband was cheating on her and the one woman says that you know you just have to get out you just have to go out and that the street is the best cure for a lot of things and i think that the film really reflects that well because you do see a lot of the streets and you do see a lot of the people of the city do, do you actually feel that way do you feel that the city and people do you feel like that can help people sort through their problems yeah i'm a big uh believer in the urban um Malou, a lot of my other films deal with that. And oddly, my name is Mark Street, so um, I tend to shoot in the streets as well. Um, I think it was Montaigne who said he never had a problem that um, uh, six hours of reading couldn't cure. I, I feel like I've never had a problem that um, 60 blocks of urban uh, wandering can't cure. Um, I think it's a hedge against solipsism and narcissism. It um, At once... Uh, focuses you and allows you to go a little bit within yourself. And um, I think that quote you mentioned is very perceptive that you brought that out. I think it really is sort of a, um, uh, an explanation of the film that, that, you, that, you know, one needs to go out and look and see in the, um, in the cityscape. You mentioned before how you kind of just pulled locals off the street a little bit for the film. But is everyone who appears in the film, even the actors, are they all from the city? Are they all from Uruguay? They yeah. are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we did a week of casting there in March. Um, we had about 80 people come in. We cast the principal roles. They're all local actors. Some are non-actors. Um, some are friends. That scene in the um, um, hair hair salon is the it's the mother of my producer Uzi Sabah actually so whoever we could grab uh we just sort of you know folded in first time actors and non-actors and um professional actors all together just because I'm I'm not familiar with it but what is the film industry like over there well there's a number there are a number of of you know gritty um Uruguayan features there's a um a team um there's a film called 25 Watts and one called Whiskey, which is not about whiskey, but it's about um, what Spanish-speaking people say when you want to take a photograph. They don't say cheese. They say whiskey because when you say whiskey, your mouth looks like it's smiling or whatever. Anyway, um, those are great, gritty films. There's also um, a kind of um, you know more mainstream um, world there, which this film doesn't fit into as well. Um so, um, you know, we sort of, as always, I say as always, uh, I fly under the radar wherever I am. And it's not as if I was, you know, I had a crew there, but it's not as if I was uh, part of the industry um, or supported um, too much by the Uruguayan government. We tried a little bit, but um, I think my vision of Montevideo and theirs were different. Um, and uh, the city of Montevideo supported us in some ways, as did the Fundación Darte Contemporáneo. But it was basically just doing it our way um, in a very kind of um, lo-fi uh, aesthetic. One of the things I read is that you used Kickstarter to fund the film. And just for people listening who aren't aware, Kickstarter is a website and it uses crowdfunding for creative projects. So. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to to use Kickstarter and kind of how you felt about Because you guys reached your goal, correct? We did. So what was that like? Well, um, 
it feels like a long time ago, although it was only a couple of years ago. It feels like Kickstarter was in its infancy or something. And now, um, what is it I read? Spike Lee is soliciting funds on Kickstarter and things like that. Um, not that he shouldn't, whatever he wants to do. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was very mixed about Kickstarter, although we met our goal. Even that phrase, to meet your goal, sounds so capitalist. Um, but, you know, we thought it was a good way of... Um, um, involving people in the project f- from the outset. Um, and we posted a bunch of videos on the Kickstarter uh, website. We went and cast it. When I went to Uruguay uh, to cast the film, I could say, you know, here's this website. Uh, we're trying to raise funds. It it made it seem more legitimate in a kind of lowbrow way than just, you know, saying I'm a guy making a film. Um, in terms of meeting our goal, you know, you get an email every time somebody donates, you know, 50 cents or something. So it's this weird kind of psychological thing where, you you know, you wake up and you go, I'm such a loser. And then you get an email that somebody gave you $25 and you think, well, maybe I'm not a loser. You know, it's this funny kind of um, you're tethered to the um, immediacy of people's support in a certain sort of way. Um, for this project, it worked out well. Um, I also got some funds from Fordham. I wanted to mention uh, faculty research grant, and um, you know, I think for this kind of low, low, um, low-fi project, uh, we met our goal and we were we were glad to get it. What would you say to someone who is looking to make films but might be discouraged about finding funds to actually make that film? Well, I would say it's a it's a great time for making films. Um, he says optimistically. In terms of um, you know, in terms of technology, um, in my day, uh, you know, I started out with uh, um, sixteen millimeter film, and you were dependent on labs. In fact, I worked in a, worked in a film lab for many years in San Francisco, so I could process my own work. Um, you were much more institutionally dependent. Uh, you had to rent cameras, you had to um, process the film, you had to, um, you know, mix the sound. Uh, now all that can be done on a on a personal computer, really. Um, so it's not really about money as much as it, as it was. Um, it's more about finding your own vision, as it always was, um, you know, sort of carving out your own idiosyncratic space. In fact, the problem now is the reverse. Um, it's finding community. You know, it used to be that you, you would, you'd need institutions in order to, um, in order to make work, and and you'd gather at places like Film Arts Foundation, in San Francisco, which is now defunct, or um, other places in New York that, that supported filmmakers in a variety of ways. And now people are on their own with their, you know, with their. Uh, DSLR in their computer, and it can lead to a kind of um, cultural and aesthetic isolation. So um, I wouldn't be intimidated by the money. I would just, um, you know, it's the ideas that are important. And if you have a great idea and you want to do it, I would, I would, um, I would just encourage people to to make films. Going back to Astanunka a little bit, one of the things I noticed while I was watching is that there's a lot of music. I was just wondering if that music was originally composed for the film. Well, it's funny because I've always sort of resisted music in my films. Um, I tend to appreciate ambient sound design a little bit more, and I tend to think that some music um, can neutralize um, uh, some of the action, some of the more subtle feelings that are going on in a, in a 
and you know visually. Um, for a radio show, it um, it fit that he should be playing music all the time. Also, my producer Uzi Sabah is a rock and roller, and there was sort of a rock and roll culture there, which I'm a little old for that. But um, I um, I put up with it, and um, and I thought it fit in in, in some ways. Um, I think music is not to infantilize Uruguayans, but you know, music is a very um, direct way of telegraphing um, subversive um, uh, impulses. I noticed my students in film classes at Fordham, uh, their first foray into uh, you know doing something that they wanted to do, not their parents wanted them to do, was a garage band or you know um, playing bass or whatever. Um, so maybe they don't do that anymore, but that impulse is um, I admire it. You know. Um, and I, you know, like to channel it into filmmaking. Um, so, um, to answer your question more specifically, it was a little bit of both. Uh, Zita Rosa is a famous tanguero, writer of tangos from Uruguay. The Uruguayans claim that they invented the tango and the Argentines appropriated it, which is typical of the tension between those two countries. Um, cultural tension, not military tension. But, um... Uh, we used his music, that's sort of the highbrow piece of it. Um, we used some rock and roll, some gritty rock and roll. We had some bands perform in the film. Astanunka, there's a screening at the Anthology Film Archives, September 26th? Correct. Two shows, 7 and 9 p.m. I was just wondering, has it been released anywhere else? Has it been uh, screened in New York already? I showed it at a really wonderful place called Union Docks in Williamsburg, uh, which is a place for... Um, uh, discussions about documentary, whether it be in um, uh, radio or film or photography. Uh, we had a wonderful screening there. Um, and um, I've shot it a bunch in Uruguay and um, about to travel to uh, the Vancouver Film Festival and New Orleans Film Festival and show it there as well. So it sounds like you're busy a little bit traveling around, but um, I was wondering if if you're working on the next thing, or if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have a bunch of projects. Um, uh, one is a series of, of sketches, um, sort of urban vignettes I'm shooting in South America. Um, I was just in Lima, Peru, showing the film, and I shot a bunch there. It's really an interesting uh, city. And, um, you know, the idea is to string these small moments together and, um, you know, make an omnibus film of um, little portraits. Um, I shot a little bit in Buenos Aires this summer and a little bit in Lima. And the other film I'm trying to get together is a film called Boomtown, which um, is about a um, small town that's becoming larger in North Dakota called Williston, which is um, uh, growing exponentially as a result of... Um, oil exploration. So it's this really teeny town and all these people, all these men are living there in man camps, uh, sort of Steinbeckian tents uh, where they, you know, sleep there and then work in the oil fields by day. So I've been out there once um, and it's very different from things I've done before, but I, I hope to sort of trace the, the um, character of this place that's exploding as a result of oil exploration. Would that be a documentary or... Yes. I mean, I think, you know, when I'm starting a project, a lot of times they could go um, a lot of different ways. And um, in keeping with this sort of hybrid um, sensibility, um, I've considered taking some actors out there. I'm starting with 
a documentary impulse. I'm interviewing people. I'm shooting, excuse me, the landscape. Um, and I'm going to just see where it goes. I don't even have, have any idea how long it's going to be at this point. Do you have a preference between something that's written as a script or, or something that's, you know, a pure documentary? Or do you, you kind of like that in between? Well, I like the in between. And, you know, I like to let the project take me wherever it will take me. And, um, you know, I, I sort of I sort of go and I shoot and then I let the material speak back to me. And, um, you know, whatever works for the project is whatever, um, you know, whatever I try to do in an aesthetic sense. So you direct, you also write, and you edited this film as well, correct? I did. Do you have a preference between which of those roles that you like the best, or is it all just part of the same thing? Sort of creating this, a film, you know, one product, one output. Well, again, you know, in keeping with this um, uh, sort of artist sensibility it sort of feels like the same um, the same thing you know uh, and I don't draw a lot of distinction between those tasks or between pre-production and production and post-production a lot of times when you're studying film they're like well what do you want to do do you want to be an editor or a cinematographer and I, I sort of both as a teacher and a maker like to think well you, you know you're a filmmaker you do all these things um you know I don't know if it's good or bad uh, or if I should admit this but um I tend to like it when I'm in the editing room and people are gone and I'm massaging the material and I have more control, something about my personal taxonomy of anxiety or something. Um, and particularly when I was shooting Asta Nunca, uh, you know, it was a, a crew. It wasn't a large crew, but too large for me um, in terms of the sort of social world, you know. And um, I was always happier um, when we were done shooting and I could either edit the material, start to edit the material, or better yet, go out by myself and film what they call cutaways or B-roll material. Um, you know, just a one-to-one -one relationship to the material. Um, and that's the way I feel about editing as well. Um, I guess for all three features that I've made, I've tried to hire an editor, but it was it was more difficult to explain what I wanted than it was to do my do it myself and I just I really felt like I wanted to be with the material and the idea of um, y you know having somebody else work with it and then coming in and looking at it just didn't suit me again I want to give a shout out to um, Uzi Sabah who um, uh, was born in Uruguay and actually spent um, his early years in Israel in a kibbutz and then moved back to Uruguay, and then now lives in Los Angeles. So he, he has led a sort of expatriate Uruguayan life, um, and that's a big part of Uruguayan culture. I think a third of Uruguayan citizens are living elsewhere. You know, there's a lot of diaspora in that way. Um, but the only reason I mention his personal history is, is we sort of came at this um, from an outsider, me, an enthusiast, uh, working with someone who had grown up there and moved away from there. And we sort of felt like my, um, you could say, freshness or naivete um, and his knowledge, but also um, alienation from the culture would work together in a certain sort of way. So, um, you know, we just kept talking. I mean, where do we want to shoot? What's typical? What's idiosyncratic? What's, um, you know, there are things like... Um, 
they're called katonanis, uh, uh, usually men in um, horse-drawn carts who go around and collect um, uh, cardboard from the street and take it to a dump and paid, you know, paid by the pound. And I'm just fascinated with these, uh, you know, um, uh, horse-drawn carts, and I just wanted to fill them all the time. And Uzi was like, what, what, you know, what's up with that, you know? Um, so um, that was an interesting discussion to have, and I think it's borne out by the film. And again, at this um, um, cultural center in uh, New Jersey, they said, why do you make it seem so dirty? Why do you say, why do you make our country seem so dirty? And I said, well, one person's dirt is another person's character, you know. And there are places in Montevideo that are more Ameri- North Americanized, you know. Um, the lighting is, uh, you know, very clean. The 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 um, sensibility is 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 North American, you know. Uh, but we gravitated towards places with, you know, yellow light, backroom bars, uh, cafes, because we felt that there was more. Uh, had more character, so I think that's an interesting tension when you're shooting. You know how you give voice to a place and what you're what you're showing. My thanks to Mark Street for talking to me about his film Astanunka. The film will be screened at the Anthology Film Archives in Manhattan on September 26th. For more information, visit anthologyfilmarchives.org. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up with past shows on our weekly podcast. Stay tuned, George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams. <laughs>